and gentlemen, welcome to the Peak Endurance Podcast with your host, Isabel Ross. As a personal trainer, accredited endurance coach, and now podcast host, Isabel is bringing you the best advice, tips, and tricks for health and athletics. Two Australian trail championships, a 24-hour track race, six-foot track marathon, and has represented Australia three times at the long-distance mountain running world championships. I mean, I guess you could say ain't no valley high or mountain low that she can't run, right? I mean, it's the other way around. Anyways, let's just say she knows a thing or two about running. Did I mention that Isabel has raced all over the world, including participating in the notorious Barkley Marathons? So, yeah, she knows her stuff. You'll be sure to get all your questions answered and maybe even a runner's high just by listening to the advice and good vibes of the Peak Endurance Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Peak Endurance Podcast. I know it's been a couple of weeks. I just needed a little bit of a break. Um, Been super busy and Christmas and all that sort of stuff. I'm sure you understand. Anyway, it's great to be back in your ears. And um, I've got a cracker of an interview for you today. Episode 146 is an interview with Carl Meltzer, also known as Speedgoat Carl. He recently won his 45th 100 mile race and has maintained a 20 year streak of winning at least 100 mile race every year. That is just amazing. He has the record for the most 100 mile wins during a calendar year with six in 2006, four of them record performances and the final four in a period of eight weeks. Carl comes onto the podcast to talk to me about his longevity in the sport, what he does for training, and gives us some tips for tackling your first miler. Now, I really love working on this podcast and interviewing so many interesting people like Carl. I hope you enjoy listening and get a lot out of it. And if you do, could you do me a big favour and subscribe, rate and review? Even subscribe and just rate if you haven't got time for a review. I totally get it. It makes a huge difference to me, not only personally, because I do love reading the reviews, I truly do, but helps the podcast audience grow and thus ensure I can keep getting amazing people like Carl to interview. Thank you in advance. The link is in the show notes, those old show notes. I wonder if anyone actually reads them. Who knows? Let me know if you do. Now, my recent goal-setting webinar went incredibly well, and I got some amazing feedback on how much the participants loved it and got so much out of it. So now I am making it available for purchase for a very limited time, like very limited. For $35, you get the recording and PDF of the webinar, as well as the accompanying booklets that we used. This offer is only available until Friday, the 11th of February. And then the webinar will be removed from my shop to make way for some new products. So don't miss out again. Go to my website, peakendurancecoaching.com.au. The link will be in the show notes, those show notes, remember? And make 2022 your running year. Enjoy the episode. Hey, it's Tom Date here, back with some more thoughts. And today I kind of want to talk about race anxieties and kind of your perception of races and of how you do and how you weigh up your results at the end of the day. Um, this kind of comes to mind because I just run the two bays trial run 56k uh, yesterday. And uh, I went all out yesterday and my kind of hope was to place. Um, even though I knew I had some really, a real tough field, um, I'm always kind of super op- optimistic that something might happen and I might be able to but 
Um, I didn't, and I ended up coming 7th male, ninth overall. Um, but what I really want to talk about is mid-race, I kind of had this thought. Uh, for years, I didn't enter competitions or anything, and that was because I was so anxious about racing. It was something, I used to race all the time when I was a kid, but um, as I got older, I stopped. And just the thought of racing just made me so anxious. And I kind of had this, this epiphany when I was running uh, yesterday, mid-run, and I think I put my finger on why it was. And it was because how you place is so out of your control because you can be in the best shape. You, you, you could have had the best run. Um, you could be in the best shape. But if you've just got some faster competition, um, they're going to beat you. It doesn't matter how good you do. And so even though you could have had your best race, uh, your result, if you base it uh, all on how you place, is out of your control and I think that's what made me so anxious and it's kind of why I'm sharing this is I've now developed I what I believe a healthier way to view um, racing and that is yes you have your goals of trying to place and yes it is disappointing when it doesn't happen but at the end of the day um, I know I did my best I know I put in everything I had and I feel really content with it and I even felt that when I was running it was really nice as I used to have lots of anxieties if someone was behind me because I was in uh, second, third place uh, for a little bit. I used to have, I would have big anxieties about people coming behind me and catching me, but it wasn't there because I knew I was doing my best and I felt good. And if someone bet me, then so what? That's that. Congratulations to them. It's better on the day. And I felt it felt so nice and made the run so much more enjoyable. And I just kind of wanted to share that um, because if anyone else might have that same kind of anxiety that you know you're basing your your results um, place wise or anything like that um, or that um, that there is other ways to base it and I think they might be healthier. Anyway, that's my thoughts this week. Thank you. So you like running, but you're feeling pain or irritation, you can't enjoy it like you once did. Or worse, your performance has taken a big hit. Now you're reminiscing on the good times where the wind blew past your ears, nature looked lovely as you passed it. What are you waiting for? Go and visit the specialist at Health and High Performance. With the latest in technology and a wealth of experience, the team at Health and High Performance can help you with all your running injury and performance needs. Let's get you back to doing something you love with the results you're capable of. Head over to healthhp.com.au slash run, or you can find them on Instagram at Health High Performance. Health and High Performance are located in Mount Albert, Melbourne, but are available for telehealth appointments, not only Australia-wide, but also around the world. So contact them now on their website to find out more. Hi, Carl, and welcome to the Peak Endurance Podcast. Thanks for having me. It's always a nice pleasure to do a new podcast. Yeah, no, I was so um, happy to get your response and get you on the podcast and made my day. So, you know, because I've been really following your journey over the years. So, but just to get us started, can you tell the listeners a bit about yourself and how you got into running and into ultra running? Uh, well, um, my name's Carl Malter. I'm an ultra runner from Sandy, Utah, and I've been ultra running since 96, but generally I've been running since, I uh, call it day one, since I was about eight, eight years old, following oh, wow. my woods of uh, New Hampshire and that kind of thing, running short races and stuff like that. But um, but fast forward a little bit, I moved to Utah in 2000, 
I'm sorry, 1989. And uh, I was a ski bum. Um, yeah. And I turned into a more of a running bum after that. Um, and then I just started running ultras, as I said, in 1996. And I was hooked. Yeah. And uh, now I've, you know, I've done it for 25 years. And it's still my passion, still my drive. And, um, you know, I kind of hope to just keep doing it as long as I can. What, what do you think is, is it about ultra running that you particularly love? Well, one of the things I was intrigued with ultra running is that, well, you don't really have to run fast. <laughs> um, I love that to, to a point, right? I mean, yeah. fast, the winter is fast, right? But, but at the same time, um, I really enjoy being in the mountains. And a friend of mine that I worked with at Snowboard Utah suggested that I run the Wasatch 100 um 100 mile race in the Wasatch Mountains here and I've been running some trail races before that but I never thought 100 miles was really in my cards I'm like why would someone want to do that well <laughs> then I did it <laughs> and you know I kind of understood that it, again you don't have to run fast you sort of have to strategize a little bit and run yeah. smart well fuel and you have to learn and expect to make mistakes and I think that's with my life in general I've always been uh I've always learned the hard way <laughs> Whether it's whether it's uh, building a rock wall or something, I always seem to make a few mistakes first, and then I get it. But then I get it right, as in better than most. So, um, yeah, yeah. And ultra running is kind of like that. You can't, yeah. you know, it's rare to just jump into a hundred mile race, which is kind of my favorite, um, and then just win all the, all of a sudden. You know, yeah. um, a few races to to come to that level of being near the front of the pack. Yeah. And then once I got there, I. Uh, you know, I just started thinking, well, how can I strategize more? How can I get better at this? And that's what's, you know, it's like anything else. If, if you're, if you truly your passion, you really love to do it and you want to get better at it, you focus on it. And I just focused on it for a while. And now 25 years later, hundred miles is not far. You know, it's like, it's just, it's another race. I think anything less than hundred for me is, doesn't really feel like a race anymore. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, you are famous for saying hundred miles. It's not that far. So yeah, yeah. it kind of explains it's a classic. That. Yeah, yeah, it is a classic. And, and I think I learned that phrase too, like after I did the Appalachian Trail a few times, that, you know, that being 2,200 miles, mm. very different. And different time. That's yeah. that phrase almost started around that first time when I did the AT, because after I did that, it was like well, hundred miles. My God, big deal. That's easy. You know, yeah. um, it's never easy and it always hurts, but uh, it just, it just changed my perspective on things. And, yeah. and, from that experience, I really learned a lot about myself and learned what my limits are. And I've been able to sort of push those limits up until now, because now I'm getting old and I'm getting slower, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I still enjoy it. So that's what really counts. Yeah. And I mean, that's the important bit. Um, and, and you're not getting that much slower. You just recently won your 45th hundred mile race, didn't you? I did. Um, and I was a little slower than I could have been when I was 30, but. <laughs> Doesn't but matter I, you won. That's not it. Yeah, no, I mean, a win is a win is a win, right? There's no question about that. And the fact is, like, I can go to a race like that now. Um, and I wasn't really super fit when I went there, but I knew I was fit enough to kind of do it. And I know how to do it. Yeah. So I went there and and I ran about what I expected to run. It was 21 and it was about 21 and a half hours or something. Um, so not bad. Uh, and you'd you had come off a couple of injuries, hadn't you? Um, not not running injuries per se. Um, yeah, so, I had a number of injuries in 2021. I, I, uh, well, I came into 2020 with a, a I had kind of strained my, my groin and that kind of bothered me for a while. Once that was better, I went to a race in Oregon, a hundred mile or the Badger mountain hundred. I stubbed my toe 
which ended up breaking my toe mm -hmm. in that race. Um, I also smashed my shoulder. I dislocated my finger there too. Oh, also put on hold a little bit. Um, but then after that all healed up, uh, I was kind of out of shape and because, you know, just cause I couldn't run. And, uh, and I finally was getting myself back into shape. I jumped in the bear 100, which is a hundred mile here in Utah. And three days after I pressed the, you know, the registration button, I was running in a trail nearby and broke my collarbone oh. into the grounds like a rag doll and uh it could have been a lot worse honestly but i you know i survived it uh, yeah it's fine now but that it really hurt my training for most of the season i mean it was very erratic you know i think i totaled 1500 miles in a season and if you ask anybody on earth that's enough for an ultra runner they'll probably say no yeah um, but you know i survived it and i got a decent shape for the last race or okay shape and then i went and just had a good standard yeah sorry wasn't too, wasn't too fast but it was good yeah yeah so but i mean that's like a 20-year streak of winning at least 100 mile every yep. year how have you maintained such a a an ability to stay at the pointy end of the field because i mean you see a lot of runners come and go constantly mm -hmm. i mean i'm sure you've noticed that over the years too oh yeah and yet, and yet you've managed to to you know have such a long streak how what have you done that's different you well, know? that's, that's a common question to ask me is like, how can you last so long? You know, how come you can still do it? And I'm like, well, number one, I love to do it. And, yeah. you know, I understand competition. I understand failure. Um, <clears throat> but it's my livelihood. I know I like to do it. Like, yeah. like I've seen a lot of guys come and go and that's typical in, in, in a lot of sports, I think. Yeah. With the exception of golf, you know, I mean, cause I mean, <clears throat> that's more of a game than a sport sort of, yeah. but, I just love the passion behind it. And I, you know, I listen to my body a lot. I don't overextend my training. I think I've probably done, if you looking back, look back at my log books over all the years, um, you know, I used to actually have to write it down, not type it on a keyboard or enter it on my phone <laughs> or whatever. Um, if you've noticed that I really didn't do, you know, mega mileage type weeks. I mostly, I mean, I ran in the mountains, um, a 60 mile week with 12 to 15,000 feet of climb is about standard. Yeah. Nowadays you'll see some guys pulling 130 mile weeks with probably double that in vertical gains. And, and I just don't think I body could have handled that when I was younger. I mean, yeah. I tried, but, but what's the benefit, you know, is it, can you last until you're 55? I, I'm 54. Um, we don't know that with some of the guys now, um, some of the big names in the sport, but we'll see if they last I think a lot of guys have come in, they get fast and they, and they win a bunch of things and they do really well. And they're like, man, I could make a living at this sport, but then something happens. Like whether maybe they have a kid or, yeah. or you know, nothing wrong with that. Don't get me wrong, but that does well, change. It changes everything. It changes everything. Um, and I've just seen that come and go a lot and, you know, job perspective, time, you know, away working and things like that change people's perspectives. And for me, you know, I, when I moved to Utah to be a ski bomb, so I did it for 17 years. And that's a long time being behind the bar, being a bartender at a ski resort. But, um, you know, and I just focused on, I want to, I want to run in the summer. So I saved all my money in the winter. So I didn't have to work in the summer. That was just what I wanted to do. So I did what I wanted to do. I didn't let other people sort of dictate what I wanted to do. Yeah. And that sort of, you know, shaped my life. And I've had a lot of things fall into my lap. Um, 
just just random things like whether it was my first job at Snowbird, I just kind of the first day I arrived there, I had a job working at night. I could ski every day for free. And that's the ski bum dream, right? Yeah, definitely. When I moved to Utah, that's pretty cool. Um, you know, Coca came into my world randomly after UTMB, and that really changed a lot of things in 2000, about 2008 or nine. So I've been very lucky. Um, first one to admit that, that I kind of, when I have an opportunity, I, I tend to, to pounce on that opportunity. So that's not really luck, is it? I mean, it's luck, bit. but you're creating your luck by taking advantage of opportunities. I think you hit that on the nose. I sort of did create my own path. Yeah. And then sort of the, you know, I, some, some, some things fell into the funnel for me and, uh, and shaped what I do now and mm -hmm. have it any different, you know, um, to be honest with you, the first 15 years in Utah, I lived a pretty, uh, I'm not going to say poor life, but, but, you know, you live with friends, you don't own any properties, you know, that kind of thing. You sort of, you get by, but I was still doing what I like to do. And, and I think that's what, what matters the most. Every day I wake up, I go run in the mountains and so I pour drinks for a few hours, big deal. And I mean, I play a lot of golf too. I get out and do things. I enjoy life. And I think that's really the key to success is that I'm doing what I like to do. I'm not doing it. It's not really a job to me. Sure. I, I make a living at it, but it's, it's not a job. It's that's awesome. Yes. You're, you're, um, well, I was going to say lucky, but once again, it's not luck because you've created that. Yeah. Um, but you're fortunate, you know? Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's, that's brilliant. Um, and, and I think like you say, looking at it from the long-term perspective of you want to be doing this when, you know, in X amount of years helps with um, not overtraining in the early years. Yeah. I mean, I don't think, I don't think I'll, you know, try to be a competitive ultra runner when I'm 65. I think I'll be ready to, to, to just, you, think? But, um, you know, it's kind of funny. One of my friends asked me years ago, Hey, when you, when you're not as competitive at the front as you used to be, will you quit running? And I said, I think, I don't think, I don't think I'll ever quit running. Yeah. I mean, now it's more of a hiking than it was running, but, but at the same time, I'll never quit doing that because it's what I like to do. I mean, you have to accept the fact that you get slower as you get older. Yes. You know, I'm doing no question. I'm doing fine for age 54, but I can't race with the front of the guys anymore. You know, um, I don't have the target on my back like I used to. Yeah. Um, it's okay. I kind of just have a different perspective. I step back and say, okay, well, this is my goal. And you know, that might be a time goal or a place goal or whatever. Um, and I just accept that and keep smiling. I mean, it doesn't always get worse out there. I mean, it's pretty cool to be able to do what I do for a living. Yeah. And we're not having to like go to the office. Like that just makes me cringe. You know? I, yeah, I agree. And I, yeah. Nothing For me, yeah, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't enjoy that either. So I totally understand that. Now, um, can you also tell us where you got the name Speed Goat Carl from? How did that come about? Yeah, so that's a classic uh, class. A friend of mine, two of my friends were driving home from a race called Pikes Peak Marathon, which you may have heard before. That was one of our big races back in the early 90s. The Pikes Peak was the big one every year before yeah. I started. And we're driving home and we're just jibber jabbering, chatting in the car as we're going along the highway. And Jackrabbit crossed the road. And, and I just said, that looks like a speed goat. And we're I don't forget the exact conversation. Like that looks like a speed goat and that name. I was like, well, that's a cool, you know, it's just a cool word. Yeah. And uh, then a couple years later when I ran um, the Zane gray 50 miler, which was, I'm going to say it was 99 or 98 or something. And uh, the race director put my name on the, on the entrance list as Wasatch speed goat. Ah. 
where he held, heard the name. And we're, I live in the Wasatch Mountains, so he called Wasatch Speed Goat. And I'm like, man, you know, that's a pretty cool name. And then I just sort of, I don't know, like any nickname, you sort of just sort of, it just sort of comes eventually, you know? Yes. Yeah. And that, but it came from that little, that little jackrabbit going across the road. But, uh, but yeah, then it sort of stuck. And then I sort of started to attach it to my, you know, a brand, sort of my own brand or whatever. And, and now it's obviously with the shoe and the socks and the pack and this coffee and the other things I have, um, it's obviously stuck. And yeah. now trademark, now it's a, you know, I mean, that, I can almost say that fell into my lap too, just like I got lucky, right? Um, yes. I kind of argued over who was the speed goat, whether it was my friend Scott or myself, but, but I said, I'm a little faster than you, so I got to take the name. <laughs> it was no, pretty good too. He ran about 440 at Pikes Peak. He's pretty solid. Uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, it just sort of came and stuck to me. And uh, he still runs a little bit, but I'm still going. So I, I, it's probably yeah. the right to take it, I guess. Yeah, no, no, it's a good one. And it's certainly very catchy and memorable. So um, mm. in, in regards to your running, you say that, you you know, you run every morning. Um, do you do, like, can you give us a little insight into your training? Like, do you do speed work or do you just generally run? What's your sort of average mileage, that sort of thing? Yeah. I mean, if I'm, if I'm feeling good and let's just say summertime, cause winter's a little different because they're running right. on things, but, but in summertime, if I'm doing 65 miles a week with 15,000 feet of gain, that's about a good week and I'm, I'm healthy and stuff like that. Do I do speed work? The last time I did speed work, I think I was in high school. <laughs> long time ago. Um, as far as like structured speed work, you know, I mean, I think speed work is very helpful. I just, because I like to run in the mountains and not on a track or on a, you know, a flat speed work type route um i do work my uphills pretty hard when i feel good so that's uphill running is sort of like a it's sort of oh, like speed work definitely it accelerates your cadence you know it's it's a little different but if i'm going to race in the mountains then i'm going to do my if you want to call it speed work i'm going to do that in the mountains i'm not going to do it on a track yeah so that you know i sort of listen to my body and when i when i feel good i run a little harder when i when it's not there that day i back off the throttle and say that's an easy day and I sort of try to take every day at a time and one at a time. Um, and I sort of have my schedule figured out every week in my head, you know, but I don't have a, a real structure, super structured schedule that someone's giving to me and say, do this, do that, do this. Um, you know, heart rate monitoring too is another thing that I've never really done in my own training, but, yeah. but if I'm sucking wind, my heart rate's pretty high, right? <laughs> if if I, I feel good, it's low. I mean, I, I'm just good at listening to my body and knowing what, what I can handle. But, but I think getting out there and being very consistent for a long, long period of time, like I have been, has been the real key to my success. And then also training on terrain that I race on. It's, yeah. I'm a good, I'm not as good as I used to be. When I get older, I'm more timid on just, you know, nasty descents, but um, that's what the Wasatch Mountains are. They're very technical and I accelerate on that type of terrain. So most races that I'll go to, I'm looking for that kind of terrain so I can have, if you call, call it an advantage or whatever, but it's, it's good when you're a good technical runner, 90% of the fields, um, unless they're really that much better than you, you're going to beat them. Yeah. Just don't, there's not, it's not as nimble on the, on the rocks and stuff. So I really worked on that a lot in my career of being good at that kind of junk. And so, so why do you think as you've gotten older, you've gotten a bit more timid on it? I'm sorry. I missed that question. Why do you think as you've gotten older, you've gotten more timid on the technical terrain? Oh, I just think that I've crashed enough. I don't want to crash again. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's just part of it. I mean, 
when I, you know, I broke my collarbone on September 13th. Okay. When I went down really hard, I got my hand between my head, which also slammed the ground. Um, like I said, it could have been ugly. I could have died. Yeah. if I would have hit the wrong way, but you know, I got up and I think my vision isn't as good as it used to be either. So, which is why I'm wearing these glasses. I can't see a thing in front of me, but, um, you know, I think that might have played a little part, but I think when over time, when you, you crash so many times, you know, I just don't want to crash. Anymore. Yeah. And yeah. I, and I've gone down a lot. And when I was on the Appalachian trail, I'd crash three, four times a day, oh, you know, yeah. are pretty small, easy crashes, but some aren't, I've gone down really hard. And, and I think as we all get older, we all get slower in that regard, just because we, you know, our bodies don't recover like they used to. And, and I mean, when I, when I did fall that collarbone, sure my collarbone was broken and that hurt like hell, but the rest of my body was banged up like I was in a car accident, you know? Mm. And it just is like, I don't want to do that anymore. So I take my, I take a little bit more time descending than I used to uphill. I'm just not as fast as I used to because I'm older, but the downhills, I'm definitely, it's just, it's just age, you know? Um, it's okay. You accept that. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's, it's age and it's like you said, the experience and, and knowing you don't want to yeah. crash, you know? So yeah. it's hitting your head on the ground is not pleasant. No. <laughs> and, no, even, and especially if you're training alone, you know, you don't want to be taking silly risks. No, I exactly. And I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm not a guy who carries his phone when he goes running. No. Um, yeah. I'm also, and that's okay if you do, I'm, you know, it's whatever, but I just like to be out free and I don't want to, if I carry my phone, a thing always dings too many times and I'm yeah. just going to, I have to look at it, you know? I know. Uh, so I leave it in the car and I wait till I'm done. And I'm like, all right, you know, I just bring my big watch and look on my time. And, you know, it's in a sense, it's been better for me to not really use the technology um, that's out there now. Cause now it's out of control. You know, you can, I mean, a watch might as well run for you. Right. <laughs> it, it comes um, to the point where as if your watch is flat people people are disinclined to run yeah it's weird uh, i mean i just i have a little casio watch you know it tells the time ah, I, so you don't have a gps watch I, I do have one i have an iWatch, but but <laughs> i don't use it a little bit when i'm places where i don't know how far the distances are and i'll check and things like that yeah. i mean I use it for that kind of stuff but I don't use it for a heart rate monitor for strava or any things like that i, was I just gonna don't... say i'm betting you're not on strava well, I think I'm on there somewhere, but no, I'm not on Strava. Um, I just, it's funny, that, it's funny with Strava because when I first had a Chloros watch, which is a nice watch, yeah, um, I went to sync it and nothing ever works for me as well, okay? So <laughs> nothing ever works. So I called Strava and tried to get it to sync and they couldn't help. It just didn't happen, right? So I was like, all right, whatever. So I use, I did use, still use that watch to check my distance and my, you know, things like that, but I just put it on my own side. And I got a little frustrated and just like, well, whatever. I, do I really need to show the world what I'm doing? No. It doesn't matter to me. I just feel like I just, I've been successful the way I'm doing it. So I'm not going to change things. And, you know, the commentary can be what it is. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it's good. I mean, yeah, I think sometimes we all get a little too obsessed with, with Strava and all the metrics. Too many data points, you know, there's too many points of, yes. of what starts telling you, you haven't worked hard enough or you work too hard. It's like, how do you know? You're just this thing on my wrist, you know? I know. And like, you're feeling good and you're training and, and, and sometimes I've, I've stopped my watch and it goes, that run was unproductive. And I'm like, well, actually I thought it was quite productive. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. That's not fair. Right. No, I, I, feel really, I got outside. 
Yeah, it doesn't seem fair at all. So yes, no, fair enough. Um, do you do any like cross training or strength training or anything like that? Um, not generally. Um, I mean, I, when I if I run a, a race and I recover for the following two weeks, yeah, um, I either hike or ride my bike or something like that. So when I recover, I use a few different tools. But when I'm really cross training, I my I really believe that to be the best runner, you must run. Yeah. Um, you know, and there's nothing wrong with, again, nothing wrong with strength training. There's nothing wrong with cross training, but it's, you know, running, especially the kind of running that I do and the, the skill set, it's like the more you do it, the more repetitive you do it, the better it, you get at it. Golf yeah. is the same way. And I use this analogy a lot because, you know, when you look at a pro golf tour player, they don't just go out and play 18 holes a day and go home and have a couple of beers and go to bed. Those guys are, you know, they're hitting the balls for two hours, they're playing their round, they're hitting the balls for two more hours, they're doing a million things to be good at it. So they're constantly, 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 constantly golfing. Yeah. And that for running, you don't over, you know, you don't overwork yourself, but you constantly do that and you'll get better at it. That's just been my philosophy and doesn't mean it's right for everyone, but um it's just how I've done it. So yeah. You know, broke, don't fix it. it. You know, it's the basic rule of specificity, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that's that's the absolute truth is that you can be, you know, jack of all trades, master of none. Yeah. You know, yeah. If you're a triathlete, that's obviously you got to do three, three things. But, uh, you know, I just I'm a runner, you know, and some people you should ride your bike more often. Like, well, no, I like to run. I, I'm a runner, you know, so I just stick to doing what I like the best. And that's why I'm where I've, you know, been pretty successful with it. Do you take, you, you said after a, a race, you'll take two weeks um, of hiking and mountain biking. Do you ever take like longer breaks from running, like an end of season break or anything like that? Um, only, only, the only time I took real extended time was after the AT runs. Yeah. The Pony Express, but that's, you know, that was like five, six weeks, but I didn't really want to run those five or six weeks after doing that. So I, I do agree that there should be some slow, easy downtime between yeah. I mean, I don't even know if I have a real season because I'll race all year long, but yeah. I'm really trying to peak at UTMB or something a little later. And then you've done through this massive training block over the course of the season. And then, you know, your big dance is all over. It's okay to take a little time to rest. I mean, a lot, we all know that a lot of the world's greatest marathoners take a month off if they no run, you yeah. know, it accelerates your, your desire to want to get back at it when you finally get back at it. I mean, the first couple of weeks might be a little rough, you know, but yeah. back really fast, the muscle memory comes back fast and all of a sudden your body is refreshed and ready to go again. So I do think it's, it's good to take breaks. Um, I just have periods where I think, especially over the last five years, I've had these little nagging injuries that I'm like, I can't take a break of <laughs> just was injured, you know, so I couldn't run. So yeah. That yeah. Was my break, you know, yeah. Um, I haven't really had too many, long-standing injuries but at the same time with the exception of this year where I really just actually couldn't run um you know I just I just like to be outside so it's hard for me to take like a four weeks of not not going up it's just yeah. it doesn't feel normal I was going to touch on the fact that you haven't really been injured you know um throughout your career what do you put that down to is that just good natural biomechanics or or yeah, um, eh, you know, I don't know if it's really natural biomechanics. I'm not the most graceful runner out there, that's for sure. Uh, but no, I just think again, I, you know, I never really overdo my mileage. I know when to step back, and I know when I'm, I get to a point of I'm sort of overtraining. Uh, you know, that usually happens in the summertime or the spring when when the trails start to dry out and things start to get nicer. 
But I think if I, what also helps me is that if I run enough races over the course of the year, and most of those now are hundreds, um, I recover after them and I wait till I get fit again to run another one. Yeah. I don't, I don't go through a massive long block of, of big training, big training blocks. I run enough races that the training blocks aren't really real long. Yeah. Uh, even in the day when I ran, you know, in the mid two thousands, I was running six to 800 miles per year. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's a lot, right? Nobody really yeah. does that anymore. A lot of the top guys never do it. I even kind of give them some shit because I'm like, come on, you're going to run 100 this year. You know, so my buddies on Hoka is like, come on. <laughs> um, it's, it just, uh, it keeps me away from the big training block. And maybe that was the yeah. reason I haven't been, you know, um, injured for a long period of time, but I, I guess I've been, you know, again, I'm sort of lucky and, and, uh, I don't think my, I don't think my biomechanics are really that great, but I don't think, I think I also don't train how to change things. So like, you know, there's all, there's a lot of, you want good form when running, right? Ideally you want to run and look like Bernard Lagat or look like even Fox. Who run? He that guy is amazing. He's just so smooth, right? Um, but but I run, you know, my legs kick out a little bit. I had this problem when I was a little kid. I had braces on my legs, so my legs kick out a little. But what feels natural to me is is what is a good running stride for me, you know. Yeah. And in ultras, you don't really need it. If I'm running a 400 meter, sure, you want to you want some really good, you know, biomechanics. But but I think for running ultras, whatever feels natural and comfortable to you is the best running stride you can have. Yeah, my, um, my foot kicks out too, and I once tried to correct that and make, you know, tried to always run with my foot straight and I ended up getting a stress fracture in that leg, so. Yeah, it's just it's just because, you're, you know, when you grow up and you're young, your body grows a certain way, and this is yeah. where, it's, whether it's crooked or straight, um, yeah, you have to sort of adapt to it. Yeah, and I think it's, yeah, whatever comes naturally to you and you can't really change it overly much. Um, yeah, a lot of the best runners, Scott Jurek is pretty ugly out there when he yeah. runs. <laughs> um, but but okay, his success too. You know, same thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I mean, even even someone like Paula Radcliffe, you know, marathoner, she had a very strange style, but you certainly yes. can't argue with her results. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, that's like you know, she's not the most graceful runner. Camille Heron isn't the most graceful runner, but look at her results. You know, it's yeah. the same. Thing. Like, you don't have to. It doesn't have to be pretty. It's just it's ball goes in the hole. That's it. Not, it goes off the tree or not. <laughs> <laughs> Um, now, what's your key to staying mentally strong during, you know, long races and, for instance, the Appalachian Trail? Um, you know, like you said, it does hurt when you're out there. So, so what do you do to keep focused on, on pushing forward and, and not just giving in to the voices? Well, I mean, there are those demons in your head, right? They're always going to be they're, they're usually not all for you. They're sort of against you most of the yeah. time. Um, so you know, and this has got a little easier over my career now because I've done it so long. Now I don't have any real pressure on me or anything. So if I have a bad patch, I kind of laugh it off. I'm like, oh, here's the bad patch. Here we go. Yeah. You know, like, oh, get stressed out about it. Nowadays, that's what I'm like. I was maybe a little more stressed out when I was younger, when I was sort of racing near the front all the time. But um, I just know that overall my experience is that it doesn't always, and this is a quote from David Horton's, it doesn't always get worse. It's a classical quote from David. And it's so... It's so true because I've run so many races where, you know, mile 20 of a hundred mile or mile 20 or 30, I don't, I don't feel so good. My legs aren't flowing. I'm just kind of like, blah, you know, but that mile 60 or 70, I'm, um, feel great. And how can that possibly be? Right. It doesn't make any sense, no. but you have to tell yourself that it can get better. And a lot of that comes from 
just knowing that it can get better. If you have that one time when it gets better and you're like, wow, you know, I actually feel better at mile 70 than mile 30. It's once you get that feeling that one time, you have to accept the fact that, you know, okay, it's a bad patch. Just monitor your food, get your, try to get your intake right and your balance right, and then things will click again. And uh, it's and that comes with experience, you know, you can tell any that, but you know, do they it goes in one ear and out the other? <laughs> um, but that's just how I just I just take it one step at a time. I'm an easygoing person. If I have a bad day, I mean, I've had a few hard rocks that I finished um, where I was doing pretty well near the front, or 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 just having a good race. And you know, something if someone puts a couch on my back at mile 80 and I walk in. <laughs> um, but on that particular occasion, I remember it was hard rock and I had 20 miles ago, and I was just I just walked all the way to the finish line. Yeah. But I had attitude i'm like well hey it wasn't my day whatever but i'm going to get to the end but then when you it could have dropped out earlier but when you get to the end you have to remember that sometimes those uh you know poor results are your best finishes because you mentally got through it and you, you sucked it up and you walked to the finish line you know every time i've dropped out of a race which i haven't dropped out of too many but there's been a few five times i've dropped out of hard rock you know oh wow Fifteen times running it um you know, I, after you do that, you they, they cut the thing off your wrist and you're like, you're out. And the second that thing gets cut, even though you wanted to just cut the stupid thing, <laughs> um, then he cuts it. Then it's like everything goes, Ugh. yeah, like, why did I what you know, and especially a couple hours later, like, why did I let him cut that? I feel better now, yeah. you know, it's just a mental thing. Um, yeah. it, it can it's for most people out there that don't understand it's like you can feel really crappy early, but you can feel really good later. And the race doesn't begin if it's a hundred or I, you know, maybe the last third or last 25% of a race, that's when the race really actually begins in ultra because the time made up on others, the last 30 miles of a hundred is far bigger than the time you gained in the first 30 yes. because it's close, you know, um, you can gain hours of time in the last 30 miles. When the first 30 miles you go up too fast, you might gain 20 minutes and that gets you nowhere. So that's, you got to so true. And, and I, I so don't write that a lot. Yeah. Yeah, and it's amazing how many times, uh, you know, you see guys go out fast and I'll come, guys that are better than I am, faster than I am, then I pass them at mile 70 and they're just like walking and then we drop out, you know? Yeah, because it's demoralizing being passed, isn't it? So Absolutely, um, absolutely. Nothing, nothing worse than looking over your shoulder and that light gets closer or the guy gets closer and you're like, and then when he goes by, you, you're in this bad mental state and you kind of want to hang with them, but then you sort of just, man, nah, I don't want to, you know, you get negative. And that's just, it's the negativity. It's the mind, it's the demons. Yeah. Uh, being able to run well, the last third is really where it all counts. And, you know, maybe you won't win the race if you started up too slow, but you probably ran a better race than most others. And that's always been my goal is to relative to the field is to have the best, uh, best result, If that's the right word. Um, yeah. I don't like to, to go out hard and fade and still have a good result. I'd rather, kind of charge the last end and, and pass people and it's more enjoyable yeah i mean i that's the, this kind of strategy i use too so so you tend to go out a bit slower and then build as you as you go yeah and i kind of like if i know that um if i'm a, if i'm a contender to run say top 10 at western states this is a good example because when i was running western a little i only ran western a few times my best result was 11th overall 10th male one girl someone got me at the end there Pam Smith. Anyway, um, my goal in that race at mile at mile 30, which is called Robinson Flats, was to be in about 30th place. Yeah. 
for top 10. That was my goal. And I was in 30th. So I put myself in that position. And then as the race goes on, I very, very slowly, 29, 28, 27. And I worked myself all the way up to seventh. Wow. Right. I mean, so like, you know, and it was all about the last, um, it was all, it was kind of about the middle miles in that particular race, but maybe mile 50 to 70 where I was doing real well. Then I sort of held my position and I sort of faded a little bit at the end, but yeah, you see how I started in 30th and I moved forward to the field running relative to the field. That was a great start. Yeah. Um, going out a little bit faster to that Robinson flat location is like, it's kind of a death wish, you know, like maybe, yeah, sure. You might get lucky and hold on, but relatively speaking, most of the cases you're not going to, yeah. um, and you're going to get away from the field. So in order to, you know, for me to have a good race, as long as I'm passing people and don't get passed after mile 50 or 60, I deem that a success, you know? And, and like we said, you know how it can be demoralizing getting passed when you're the one doing the passing, it really builds you up and makes you feel better and gives you energy as well. I reckon. Absolutely. And that's, and that's the thing is like, you want to be the hunter, not the hunted. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So that's why, even with the clients that I coach, that's sort of how I try to coach them into their races like that too. Like when you're catching people, you feel good when you're always looking over your shoulder for someone catching up to you. That's, you know, huh. that's, you look at the Olympic marathon, any, many, any road marathon, big road marathon. And when the guy goes out and he takes the lead and he's got a minute and a half on the field at mile 17 and he starts looking over his shoulder. <laughs> The first time he looks over his shoulder means he'll yeah. get caught. Yeah. So, you know, and he does every single time. Yeah. Uh, it's the same thing with Tour de France, the guys riding. It's like it's they go out, then they get caught. Um, but that's not the way I like to race. I like to just be the sneaky guy that just keeps weaving his way through the field until until whatever the result is, it is. But um it's it's a fun way to race when you yes. when you're on the second half. Yes, no, I, I totally agree. And and also I like it because I get to meet so many more people when I race that way as well. <laughs> and you're not grumpy. Yeah. Right? <laughs> if you're grumpy in the front, that's no good. But yeah, it's uh it's it's I've met a lot of people. I mean, the, the amount of friends I've met through Ultra Running, I have friends around the world basically, yeah. you know. Um I could go anywhere in the, in the US anyway, I could probably go to any state if I wanted to stay at their house, you know. It's like I have so many friends that I've connected with and it's been an amazing community of people and it doesn't mean just you know the front of the pack guys i mean i know people in all whether they fight cutoffs or or whether they win i have so many friends everywhere that it's it's hardly a religious person but it's a blessing you know it's like nice to have nice to have that and so it's it's been a great life having having that on my side and and to be honest that's that's part of the reason I love ultra running so much is, is the community. Very laid back community. Um, You know, it's, it's funny that some will say, well, in triathlon, it's more cutthroat. I mean, I wouldn't know. I, I, I would always be that laid back guy anyway. Yeah. Uh, It's, it's nice to step on the start line and shoot the shit with your buddies and, and then go race, you know, and then kind of hope, hope we hope everybody does well, but I want to beat my buddies too. You know, it's a race. Yeah. There's no holding hands with this guy across the line. <laughs> <laughs> That's good to hear. I might even uh, work you over and make you think we're going to cross together all the at the end. <laughs> but after that, it's all about having a few beers and relaxing and chatting about it. So, um, and that's what I've experienced in ultra running is I have never raced against anybody that has ever been like cutthroat about anything. It's always been like you did great, I did great, you know, yeah. awesome. Uh, it's always been positive. So, I mean, it's, it's a great sport. I mean, it's, it's so cool to see it still there, you know, it still holds yes. that ground. 
even in the biggest events out there, it still has that grasp of like everybody is still friends here. Yeah. And it's just about the journey. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Now, when you are in a race, what's your um, race nutrition like? Um, I'm, I run for first endurance. So I'll use their gels. I primarily am a gel guy. Um, yeah. You know, I, I drink plain water because it's an easy, uh, it's sort of a regulator. Yeah. Instead of having, you know, a, a drink mix. Yeah, they do make a drink that I use in training, but I just, I don't mostly use it racing because water is just, it's more of a regulator and gels. You can count your calories a little bit easier. Yeah. Um, so I'll run a whole hundred miles on gels. Wow. And a few things. I mean, a few other things. I'll eat some pineapple. Love pineapple. That's sort of my real food go-to. Um, and then salt, um, salt capsules. That could be a variety of brands. I just make sure that has like 300 milligrams of salt in each capsule. So I know roughly what I'm taking in. And then, uh, you know, soup, bouillon. I won't eat the noodles, but I'll eat the bouillon. Like that seems to coat your stomach with its salty thing. Yeah. But other than that, and some soda. Um, yeah. Red Bull for a long time. I drank a lot of Red Bull. And that, I mean, so Red Bull is just a soda. Um, it's flavored soda. No different than Coca-Cola. But wait, recently, my last 100 I did, which, you know, that one I ran in December, I ran the whole second half on Coca-Cola. Oh, my God. Wow. Right? I mean, that sounds absolutely nuts, crazy. I <laughs> get um, But I was... I was fine with the gels. I didn't have any stomach problems or anything, but you know what? The Coke really tasted good Yeah. for whatever reason. I don't yeah. drink at home much, but there's sugar in it, right? I mean, sugar is your energy. And I was, I had it in my water bottle and I sipped on Coca-Cola for about 10 hours. So, I mean, I'm a bit of a nut sometimes, but you know, I've seen guys run, run uh, hard rock on Sprite. Yeah. <laughs> my old friends did, he ran, he's like, I ran the last 70 miles on slice. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and, but he, but and you ran 30 hours or something. I mean, but, it, but it's, it's like you say, it's part of listening to your body. And if your body says, I need what I need today is Coke, then that's what it needs. You know, it was working for me. And when something's working, I don't, I'm not going to try to change things. Yeah. You know, this rule of ultras is don't try something new in an ultra. Yeah. Uh, it, and that's whether it's shoes or socks or whatever. Um, stick with your old routine and, you know, know what works and then keep rolling with it every time. And, um, you know, I used to run with those before I run first endurance, I used other gels and was different variety of flavors, which was, yeah. I guess, kind of nice, but there's a convenience factor there too. Yeah, you know? oh, totally. I, I run with shorts that have little side pockets and I have a little waist belt is all I ever really carry. And, you know, I carry my gels in my pockets of my shorts and so I can reach down, grab, boom. It's yeah. real simple. There's no reaching around or any fumbling around or anything. And I keep things very, very simple. Uh, I, I have very, very minimal downtime compared to most. Yeah. So, you know, the last, I've won uh, the No Business 100 a couple couple wins ago. Um, the only reason I won that race is because I beat him at eight stations. He was running. I was going to ask that because um, I see a lot of people spending a lot of time in eight stations. I'm, I'm, I like to be in and out. And obviously you're very much the same. Yeah, 15, 20 minutes for 100 miles, all I need, you know, and that's only because it takes time to get a water bottle. Uh, yeah, there's no need to have a lot of downtime and, you know, you'll see more downtime in the back of the pack and I, I get it. It, you know, they're doing more things they're um, thinking about eating real food and nobody wants, Oh, I couldn't put a gel down after five hours. And gel is gel of, of um, probably almost any brand is like going to work basically the same way. It's, it's made for you to process quickly. It's made for you to give you energy. So you got to tell yourself that, you know, I mean, I, I get it to get old after 15 hours of sucking them back, but 
um, you know, it's going to be over before you know it. You can just blink and the race is over. Then you can eat yeah. some real food. Um, so it's, it's, it's what's worked for me. Um, and I think when I started doing a lot of gels in, in early 2000s at Hard Rock, um, you know, I think I ate, most I ate was, I think, 57. Oh, my God. In one, in one race? In one race. And hard, it was oh Hard Rock, a longer race. And my, my, I had a buddy that ate like 75. So oh. any records there. But, uh, you know, it was amazing how you can run a whole race like that and all the way through the San Juan Mountains on gel, right? But so, we used to so how often, if you had 57 a bite, how often would you have a gel? 20 minutes, 20, 24, well, 20, 20, 20, 25 minutes, you know. So if you do the caloric number on that, so you're looking at 250 an hour calories. That's brilliant. That's that's awesome. That's what you want. And then you have drink regular water. So you're not taking any calories in your water. So you can really yes. mark, you know, what you're taking in. And as long as it's working for you, you know, again, there's a little soda sipped in there, maybe a pine, piece of pineapple or something, but very minimal. Uh, so it's it really is a good way to sort of just like IV drip. And that's yeah. a tip is IV drip your food whatever it might be, um, IV drip your food. And even, you know, I didn't do that on the Appalachian trails, but I ate real food on that because I was yeah. slower. Your, your body can process more. I probably ate the same number of calories an hour, but, but, uh, but it was different. I mean, I, I ate anything that they gave me. <laughs> um, and, and you were, you knew you were going to be going for much longer, like a hundred mile, you know, that you, it's only X amount of hours, but the right. Appalachian trail, that was, you know, a very long time. So you had to, plan ahead for what your body would need as well yeah and my and my crew was amazing you know they they knew that i mean my crew eric bells the guy with the beard and the family if you ever saw it, but he yes I yeah he was here at my house actually um he he knew that i would eat just about anything so you know i had a little pouch with just some stuff in there and i used to live with eric he rented a room for me at my right. house so you know we know each other we know our habits um so he was great. And when, when I finished the day, I always had a good big meal at the end, you know, yeah. and that was, and it was always prepared for me ready. Well, like but the second I sat down, I was eating. So I'd eat as much as I could, I could put down. And then I would, I was in bed within 30 minutes every night. Wow. So that was, you know, when I look back at helping Scott Jurek, I look back at um, others that have done the AT and they never, you know, they didn't get to bed in a half an hour yeah. after they it's always like you shoot the shit you hang around blah 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 but you don't sleep yeah the, the whole thing behind the at is get your maximum hours of sleep that you can afford when you're trying to break a record and then then you kind of go from there and hope it pans out um, i was getting great sleep on that when i did it and that was a huge i'm not good at sleep deprivation to begin with i'm like i you know i, I need my sleep yeah uh, so I, I just you know those guys really helped me and my crew was amazing so you didn't find that when you were trying to sleep you know, after running all day, you didn't get like twitchy legs or anything like that. You just, no, you know. I mean, I, I, I know that feeling all too well. Um, yeah. after you can't fall asleep afterwards, but I took a time on all PM. Um, uh -huh. yeah. when I arrived at the, at the, at the van, just one, um, yeah. I sort of just took the edge it, off. Yeah. I don't know if it's cheating a little bit, you know, but that definitely helps you kind of knock you down yeah. and kind of wax you just a little bit. So I could fall asleep. Yeah. So that's one thing that I did on the AT that um, I don't know if everyone's done that. I mean, even when I helped Scott this year where it didn't go very well, but I had him convinced after day three that he should take one. Yeah. Um, he wasn't all for it at first, but he was like, well, yeah, I actually slept so much better. I'm like, it's just, you know, I'll, I'll take the help when it's, when it's yeah. fair, you know, there's no question about it. And, and it's, you know, it's available to everyone. So it's not like it's, yeah. only you, you know. no, no, it's not cheating. It's, it's fine. Um, but that's, I mean, 
the sleep is such a huge thing. It's yeah. can't go. I know so many people say, I'll go 20 hours a day. I only sleep three, four hours. Well, you can do it for a week, yeah. but after a week or two or more, then, it, then it's like, it's going to wear on you. Before you know it, you're going to be a zombie walking around the woods yeah. and, and you're going to get lost on the AT. And that's, that's almost impossible to do. You <laughs> to follow. Um, so it's, you know, that's just a big thing that, that helped me be successful in the AT. So if you, you said you don't really cope so well with sleep deprivation, how have you been then where races where you've had to go through the night? Um, well, I mean, usually if I go through the night, it's just into the next morning. Yeah. So that, you know, I think if, if it was like a, a Big's Backyard Ultra, one of those things, I'd, I'd be no, I'd be a non-factor <laughs> for maybe 30 hours. The longest race I've done on foot at one time is hard rock. And I finished in 32 something. Okay. So that, you know, I was done at about two in the afternoon or something. So, you know, when you, a lot of times when you go into the night and the sun comes up, um, the sun rejuvenates you a little bit. Um, you know, I've had the sleep monster on my back, like everybody else too, but, uh, you know, the sleep deprivation gets to me when I'm doing something like the AT. Yeah. I think one, one push, yeah, you know, not that big of a deal. I feel for the people that takes 48 hours of hard rock. And that's, yeah. you know, that's tough. Um, but I was always done fast enough. I think that that didn't really have a factor in those races, but the AT and the Pony Express was, I never would have survived on three, four hours a night. I just. Yeah. How many hours a night were you getting about? Seven and a half to eight. Wow. That's brilliant. Right. So, right. So I started at 5 a.m. Every, every morning. I was pretty much out the door at five. Yeah. And I'm very, very tight on that. I only missed that number by maybe two on two, maybe two occasions. Um, and then I went to my, you know, whatever that distance was that time. Sometimes I'd finish at nine at night. Sometimes I'd finish at seven, um, which isn't really the most efficient way to do the AT fast, which is why the record is four days faster than mine is now because it was more efficient. But I sort of needed that. I wanted that sleep. I wanted to be in bed by 830 at the latest, Yeah. you know, gave me seven and a half, I think, or something like that, or eight and a half hours. And at the end of the day, at the time that, that you, you broke the record doing that. So it was just, think, yeah, you know? yeah, no. So that was, yeah. And I was, and I, that wasn't, I mean, I, I did, I broke the record. That was my goal and I got it, but yeah. there was a lot of time left out on the trail that yeah. I, I could have been, had things gone really well, like without having the issue, 43 days probably would have been more like what I would have done, but, so but that's just, is you know and and so would you ever be tempted to give it another crack too old <laughs> um i would love to go do it i i, I my wife and i plan to walk it but yeah. i think at this point um yeah i hate as much as i hate to admit it i'm it's it's to go after the record is is unreasonable yeah. i think it's 41 days and seven hours and i could cut i could if i had an amazing route run at it and all that Maybe I could shave a little time off mine, but again, it would all have to be perfect. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, it's it's just because you just you just don't recover as fast. Yeah. The guys, Carl Saab, who has the record, he was twenty nine. Yeah, I did it when I was forty eight. Right, I mean twenty nine. I was twenty nine again. But um, you know, when Scott Jurek went when he did it when he ran his pretty good time, he was forty. He's forty eight now, so he was like forty three ish. Yeah. Um, and then he went back again, he's 48 and he just knows things happened. Um, but this just show goes to show you that age makes a difference, you know, string being in his either late twenties or early thirties when he did it was unsupported faster than me too. Yeah. So 
at H factor, it's just, it's just a recovery. It's not that we can't move as fast as they can. It's just the fact that your body just rebels a little bit. Um, your joints a little more sore and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I just find that the start of every run hurts more than it ever used to. I look like I'm 85 years old walking up the road when I start out every single time. I feel like I'm 105. Yeah, but I agree. Like you said, you know, you kind of get going. It takes 10 or 15 minutes to get sort of, all right, I'm going now, you know. Yeah. Now, I used to be able to pop right out of the house and boom, the door. And that's not the case anymore. No, no, yeah. And, and, and for me, I certainly have to factor that in to the amount of time I've got to allow for my run is that that whole warming up process. Yeah, you just got you just got to let your body warm up. And that's yeah. just the reality of it uh, yes it is it is and you've just got to yeah give yourself the grace of well that's just the way it is now um so and what's your next hundred mile have you got another one planned um well i i think i'm going to run one on february 25th april 9th may 6th oh my god early june and then utmb that's it. So that, I knew you, there was talk of you doing utmb but you are definitely going i am doing i am running utmb i am on the list Awesome. Um, yeah, and I'm psyched about that. Um, the next one I do is in, if, if I do it, I'm, I'm planning on going. I, it just depends how I training goes. I'm not entered yet. Yeah. I didn't come 100% yet, but uh, it's called a, it's a Lake Ochita Vista Trail. It's in Arkansas, mostly single track. Um, that's February 25th. And yeah. another one in Northern Georgia on April 9th. And then Hellbender, I'm going to run. Hellbender 100 is uh, in North Carolina near Asheville in the mountains there. It's a great course, fantastic course. I've done it once before, and that's May 6th. The one yeah. after that, kind of jokingly, if I'm still, if I can still move, <laughs> um, I sort of have this outside goal of finishing 100, 100 milers. So, ah, oh, okay. Uh, see, that's like another, that's if there's another stepping stone for Carl, <laughs> um, I think that might be it. And so again, what do you I'm, want? I've had, I have 70 right now. Ooh, okay, nice. I mean, 30 sounds like a lot, but, and it is a lot. And if you tell anybody that they're like 30, 30 hundreds, oh, that's crazy. But all I, if I just have to finish them, yeah, I can, uh, I, I can do that if I stay healthy. So yeah. that's sort of back in my mind. So if I get four, down, four in or five or six or seven in this year, I'll be in the upper seventies. And then I can think to myself, well, next year, maybe I'll do 10 and I'll get, you know, I all, again, all I got to do is finish them. If I slow back the throttle, try to win, um, I think it, maybe not quote me on this, but I think it'll be a piece of cake if I, <laughs> if I, uh, if again, if I stay healthy, that's always the biggest. But, see, but once again, you know your body so well, I think that yeah. I think you would be able to do it. I think I can do it. I, I, I think I can do it. It's just, I, I got to stay motivated. Yeah, um, that's probably yeah, the key. Yeah, I mean, finishing is... You know, I'm fast enough that I don't really fight the cutoffs yet. Um, yeah. So it's just a matter of like, to me, I, I, I'm good at walking fast too. Yeah. And I think you're talking about just finishing a race. Like I call it AT pace because Appalachian Trail pace is like three and a half miles an hour. And yeah. that's not, I mean, it's not very fast, right? It is on that terrain, but it's not. Not know, really not, overall. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think I can do it. Um, hopefully Hoka will stand behind me on this quest. Um. But if not, I, not a, I can still do it myself. But uh, yeah. that's kind of on the end of my radar. And so how long do you think it'll take you to get those last 30 in? Yeah, if I so if I commit to it, so let's hypothetically say I finish seven this year. Yeah. Or even say six. 76, it gives me 24. So three years after that at eight a year, 
I think if once I think if I reach if I get to 90, I think the last 10 will come quick. Yeah. Because I'll just be like, I'm too close to not just go do it, yeah. you know. Yeah, I'll just go do the Pony Express because it's local. I'll just go finish it. And, yeah. and, and so I think when I get to 90, you know, it's like smelling the barn. Yes. Uh, I'll smell the finish line a little bit. Uh, I'm not quite smelling the barn yet. Um, no, no, you're not close enough, I don't think, to. No, I'm not close enough to smell the barn, but I'm close enough to run well the last third, right? Yeah. Yep, that's it. <laughs> it's sort of how I'm looking at, you know, the next number of years. Uh you know, if I survive, so we'll see. Oh, I'll be interested to um, follow along and, and see. Um, that that's good. And and so I'm guessing then you're not going to be putting 200 miles in your repertoire. Well, <laughs> it would count as 100, <laughs> but it would count for two of them. Um, yeah. You know, I've I've thought about it. Last year I was going to run Coca Dona 250. Yeah. But that's when I broke my toe a month before. Uh. Yeah, I was actually entered on the list, and then like yeah. a week later, I go to this race and I break my toe, and I'm like, ugh. But um, it intrigues me. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I just, I just kind of think that 100 miler is my distance, and yeah. maybe you know, maybe if I do get close to to 100 of them, maybe a couple of those might be 200 milers. Like maybe I'll run the five 240 or something, which is October, and that'll be my last one of the year. You know, after UTMB. Yeah. Then I'll close it down for a little while, and then I'll start off the following year and say, "Okay, I'll I'm gonna try to do ten this year." And then I'll give it an eighty-five, and and then I'll hopefully start smelling the barn. But yeah, I mean, it's the two hundred is different beast, you know. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's just the guys that are winning the two hundreds, the Mike Mike McKnight's and 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 Corden Dewalter, who's done great at them, and and others. Uh, you know, they don't sleep much, right? Yeah. I don't know if my problem with sleep deprivation would come to a factor with that. Yeah. Um, I'd probably be able to push through for the most part and sleep very little, but uh, I don't know. It's just weird. I don't have that punch to want to do 200 yet. And I don't know if I don't do one, it's okay. I just. Well, once again, it's, it's like you say, part of listening to your body. And if you, if you don't want to do it, like there's no point just because it's a 200 miler is a new 100 miler doesn't mean yeah, just because some people may expect you to do it i think yes, a lot of times right. in people's careers that were fast in their day you've got to run western states you got to run western you know and uh, a, a good example is nate mcdowell who was a fantastic runner um back in the early 2000s nate was always pressured to run western run western and western and he wanted to run hard obviously western and he just all the pressure was on nate all the eyes were on nate yeah and he didn't do well and that's sort of like Moralized his um, drive in his career a little bit because it just ah. like expected him to go do this, you know. Yeah. He didn't do that well at it, and I just don't want. I just want to do what I want to do. You yes. know, It's my, my world. Um, I don't really like to listen to other people. I don't. I don't take instructions very well from others, <laughs> um, including whether it's my wife or anyone else. <laughs> I, like like I said, I learned the hard way. I'm gonna do it my way, and that's how it's gonna be. <laughs> well, and like you said, and and you've learned because you you do go your way and make mistakes, but that's how you've perfected your skills. Yeah, yeah, it's how you get better at things is is doing yes. them your way. And I was never good at I was never good at uh, reading the book and getting an A in my in my on my grade because I just didn't want to read the book. I wanted to go outside and do it myself, you know. Yeah. Um, and I I didn't do bad in school or anything like that, but I was just like it wasn't my. It wasn't my favorite thing to do. I loved gym class. <laughs> Take me outside. Let's go run around. Uh, I just learned from doing much better than from reading about it. 
Yeah, yeah, no, that's fair enough. So would you have any um, tips for the listeners who might be facing their first 100 miler, anything to sort of make their journey a little easier? Not that it's... Well, well I, think, I think the tip for any 100 miles for the first timer is to, you know, number one, expect it to hurt. Yes. I mean, obviously we know it's going to hurt, but if you've never been down that path before, you really don't know what it's going to feel like at mile 80. So you can expect it to hurt. You can expect to be slow in the second half. The old cliche is don't go out too fast, but we all know that. Everyone knows that. Um, you know, just try to take care of yourself and don't worry. Try to run your own race and don't worry about, don't even really look at it as a race your first time. Like for me, my first 100 was Wasatch. Um, it's my first ultra in Wasatch 100, really hard, but it's my home course. My goal was to finish. Hmm. And, and I did finish. And that was like, never doing another 100 again. I mean, we hear that a lot from the first time finishing. Oh, yeah. Right. But, you know, a couple of days later, you're like, where do I sign up? <laughs> I think finishing is, I don't care if you're the fastest guy in town, if you're killing Jornet or Jim Walmsley or any of those guys that are really in the top of the scene right now. Um, the goal is still to finish because yeah. even on your bad day, a finish is better than not. So just kind of take your time and take care of yourself and, you know, learn from others, ask questions, um, practice your fueling for on your long runs, run, mm-hmm. One of the things I like to say is do, if you have a 20 mile run scheduled, you know, this weekend or whatever, um, don't eat breakfast. If you're training for hundred, don't eat breakfast and have, maybe have a cup of coffee or whatever you normally do real small, but don't eat like this big breakfast and go into it sort of somewhat fasted and mm-hmm. then feel during the day, that 20 miler on whether it's, you know, I would be jealous, but what, what you think you're going to eat in a race and see how that goes for you. Does that upset your stomach? Does that mess you up? Does it give you no energy? No, try to figure those things out beforehand. Um, and everyone's different. So, you know, I can tell you what to eat. You might hate it. So, um, but that's just, you have to learn from doing. And again, it goes back to my old mantra, right? But, but that's just, uh, you got to practice that. It's okay to do practice races. Not every race has to be yes. a, a big goal race. Um, I do lots of races where I just, just go and run them and just kind of like, you know, have fun with it and enjoy it and, and keep smiling and remember that it doesn't always get worse. Um, I've seen a lot of guys run their first hundred and run great. And I've seen a lot of guys blow up and usually they blow up because they didn't really practice what they're supposed to do. You know, it's, it just takes time to learn what your body will accept and what it won't accept a lot of times. Yeah. Uh, but act, I mean, asking questions is from people that have done a lot of them is, is the best because they know what it feels like. Um, you can have a coach that he might teach you, teach you how to run your best marathon ever, but if he's never run a hundred, he wants to train you to run a hundred. He didn't feel, he hasn't felt it yet. <laughs> uh, doesn't mean he's not good. It just means he, he yeah. doesn't really know what it feels like a mile 70 when you can't move <laughs> and you're sitting in a chair and you want to just go home. Yeah. Uh, you got to learn that you can, you can push through those things. Yeah. No, that's great advice. Thank you very much. And, and thank you so much for coming on and chatting with us. Now, where can um, people follow you if they want to see you on your, you know, your mission to get your 100 milers? Yeah, so, um, well, the only place I really, on social media, I'm mostly a Facebook, Twitter guy. I'm too yeah. old for it. So um, I just don't carry my phone when I run, right? So I, mm-hmm. I just take photos. Um, people so ask no me, selfies? No, yes, no selfies. How do you do this phone? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's just mostly because I don't carry my phone, but it's just, I'm not yes. in things, but Facebook, obviously I'm there all the time. I, I see it all the time. I don't always make posts, but 
that carmelster.com is my website. I don't make many posts, but speak of 50K, I can be found because I'm the race director. Of that. Um, and then Twitter too. I'm on Twitter. You know, I, you know, I go on that a little bit, but uh, you know, I just kind of like do my thing. And, and if you want to find me, you know, you should always, if, if, you have, if anybody hasn't watched the film Made to be Broken. Yeah, that's, that's an awesome film. And you kind of learn, you know, Red Bull did a good job with that for the most yeah. part. We missed a lot of cool things about it, but you can learn about me a little bit by just kind of watching that. And, you know, I can see that I can be a real grump and same time I can be smiling too. So, <laughs> yeah, but it's, well, it's, it's been a good ride. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate your time. No, thanks so much. It's always a pleasure. Bye. Carl certainly has a lot to teach us all about racecraft and longevity in this sport. I don't know about you, but I want to be running for as long as possible, and I think that means we all need to start listening to our bodies a bit more. I can't wait to see how his quest for 100, 100 milers goes. I'll be following along, certainly, and looking forward to interviewing him again on his journey. Now, if you want to get more awesome running info, make sure you join the Peak Endurance Running Group on Facebook. It's a great place for all things and people endurance running. Or, of course, you can go to my website, peakendurancecoaching.com.au, the link is in the show notes, to get on my email list. Have a great week, weekend, whenever you're listening to this, time out there running on the trails or even the road. The road is still good. Just have fun running. Catch you next time.